normally I start to, well, often I'll start my ministry with a little bit of a funny story or a joke, and somebody handed me this, so I don't know whether they, they think this is the joke. It says, the golden age of Liverpool. So you read into whatever you want, but thanks to John Roberts uh, for that, and I am throwing myself on the mercy of God for this afternoon. And all you non-football people, you haven't got a clue what I'm on about. Let me, just before we go into it, I often do try and um, just at times uh, when people send me stuff through, I'll I'll try and read it if it's funny or interesting. And I just want to read this this to you. Uh, A minister dies and is waiting in line at the pearly gates. And ahead of him is a guy who's dressed in sunglasses, a loud shirt, a leather jacket and jeans. Don't think that person is me. And St. Peter addresses this guy, who are you so that I may know whether or not to admit you into the kingdom of heaven? And the guy replies, I'm Joe Cohen. I'm a taxi driver and I'm from New York. St. Peter consults his list and, and he smiles and says to the taxi driver, take this silken robe and this golden staff and you may enter the kingdom of heaven. So the taxi driver goes into heaven with his robe and his staff and it's Now the minister's turn. The minister stands erect and booms out, I am Joseph Snow, pastor of St. Mary's for the last 43 years. St. Peter consults his list. He says to the minister, take this cotton robe and uh, this wooden staff and you may enter the kingdom of heaven. Just a minute, says the minister. That man was a taxi driver. And he gets a silken robe and a golden staff. How can this be? St. Peter responds, up here we work by results. While you preached, people slept. While he drove, people prayed. (laughs) I trust that there will be no sleepers here today. We are continuing with our series, Raise the Praise. What is interesting about that title, that banner headline, is that a number of months ago, we, we uh, rolled out a series that we felt the Lord had led us into about raising the bar from Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it's the whole point of Jesus addressing the issue of how things need to be raised in our life. We need to do better in many areas. And one of the things about this series, Raise the Praise, is not that we don't believe we're a praising community. Because we are, quite clearly we are, we've done it again this morning. But God wants a greater level of praise to come from our lives. He is looking for a group of people, we heard last week, the radar in heaven is going, it's not literally a a radar, but because the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, the Lord is looking across the the nations of the world, across earth, to see see communities where clearly there are people who have a genuine heart to praise God. And he designs that his presence would be manifest and uh, amongst us. And uh, so we're wanting to, to carry on with this series. And today I want to address the whole thing of a song of praise. But before I do that, I just begun to look before I got into the scriptures. And if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Isaiah and chapter 12. And whilst you're doing that, I just begun to think just for fun around a bit of trivia with regards to songs. You see, there are all kinds of songs that we can hear, and I'll make mention of that in a moment. You see, there are songs of, of love, and there are songs of 
separation. And uh, there are songs around all kinds of, of things. And uh, so I looked at the all-time top 20 in the United uh, Kingdom. Would anybody know what the number one hit in the United Kingdom would be? No, not in weeks. In weeks, this is, it's not in terms of copies sold, so you're probably right, but it's in weeks at the, in the billboard. I'll let you know. Anybody around in 1953? There was a man by the name of Frankie Lane, and he sung a song, I Believe. And that was number one, 18 weeks in the charts. Any Brian Adams fans here? I mean, I, I actually quite like Brian Adams, but by the end of this song, I just wanted to kill Brian Adams because he says, everything I do, I do it for you. I'd like to do something for him, but we better not go there because he spent 16 weeks in the charts and it really wound me up at the end of it. Any Whitney Houston fans? Yeah, she spent 10 weeks and she sung a song, I will always love you. Yeah. And then Rihanna, Rihanna and Jay-Z, Am I sounding cool now, guys? She sung about an umbrella. How cool is that? I don't know what kind of umbrella she was talking about, but she sung a song about an umbrella, and she spent 10 weeks in the charts. Number 10, in 1954, I have to let you into a bit of a secret here, but I was a secret at the age of 8, 9, 10, bit of a Doris Day fan, and she sung Secret Love. Doris Day, I thought she was beautiful, Doris Day, when I was 10. And uh, 15, John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John, you're the one that I want. And any Elvis Presley fans? At number 20, I think this is how it goes. It's now or, it's now or never. Is that the way it goes? Yeah, okay. okay. Number 20, 1960, he spent eight weeks in the Billboard charts. A song. Songs around love, separation, disappointment, fears. And uh, there's a song that people are always going to sing. Interesting to note, the most sung song in the world is what? Logically thinking, just think this through logically, what would it be? Happy birthday. You're absolutely right. Happy birthday is the most sung song in the world. But let me just get your attention here because I actually think they're wrong. I actually think there's songs that are sung far more frequently than Happy Birthday. Let me give you some understanding here what I'm talking about. Because I believe there are songs of defeat. There are songs of negativity. There are songs of grumbling and moanings. There are songs of anger and despair and fear. There are songs that people get up in the morning and they go, Oh, no, is it Monday? Already, And there is a song that people will sing tomorrow morning as they awaken. And these songs are not nice songs, they are negative songs. Some of you have even sung them this morning. A song that you have sung, you see there is a sound and there is a song around our lives. We can't get away from it. Now whether you like a bit of jazz and you sing it jazz, jazzy, or whether you like a bit of soul, you sing it socially, uh, um, soulfully, or whether you like a bit of grunge metal and you sing it, it doesn't matter, you're singing the song. There's a song around our lives. There is a song that is being sung. Interesting, in Exodus 16, 
there was a song that was being sung. It wasn't necessarily a melody, but there was a sound that the people of that day were, were, were bringing amongst each other and before God, and God heard it. Because it says in Exodus 16 verse 2, that in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron, their leaders. There was a sound, there was a song, that the whole community was singing. Let me ask you a question. What song are you singing? What song are you singing? Because God wants us to sing a song of praise. He's ordained praise from our lives. So I want to read Isaiah and chapter 12, and I want us to learn some things. And as you just look at it again, I just want to give you some understanding. Because Isaiah 12 is clearly a prophetic picture of God's salvation. The first three verses speak about the salvation of God. And then the other verses talk about a song of praise. But we will look at how Isaiah literally hundreds of years, almost 700 years before the the revealing of Christ to the world, he saw God allowed him, and just get this picture in your mind, God almost just allowed a little window of opportunity for Isaiah to see through the generations and through time to the coming of Christ. It was an amazing thing. When God speaks prophetically and you begin to see some things of what are going to take place. And this is what happened with Isaiah. Almost 700 years before the coming of Christ, Isaiah saw the coming of Christ and wrote it in in these pages. What's even more incredible is literally, you know, thousands of years later, I'm stood here talking to you about this particular point. Because Isaiah saw the salvation of God, and saw the praises of God. And that is what I want to talk about this morning. So I wonder if we could just read Isaiah 12 together. It says in verse 1, In that day you will say, I will praise you, O Lord, although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation, I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And our response to this is in verse 4. In that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. I honestly believe that this this chapter in Isaiah 12 is a song of praise and it's a call for the people of God to bring a song of praise. You can smile at me while I'm saying these things. You see this song that Isaiah was penning or these verses, it was an anthem of praise. I want to say it was a compelling song. It's an irresistible song. It really is because it's declaring the praises of our majestic God. 
there are some things that we all love and we all like in life. But I want to say our God is majestic. He is awesome. He is fabulous. He is fantastic. I can't have enough words to describe the greatness of our God. And I believe that this song, if it wasn't then, I'm sure it has since that time of writing, has been accompanied with drums and guitars and even some cymbals. Awesome, awesome song of praise to God. But let's look at the first three verses if we can, because I believe that God wants to say some things to us before we look at the song, actually the song of praise. And we may not get through all the notes this morning, because I just feel there's some twists and turns that God may have just dropped in my heart as I was just worshipping this morning. But I want to just remind us that the first three verses speak of God's gracious love and mercy. I want you to just look at verse 1. It says this. Have you all got it? It says, in that day, you will say. What day is he talking about? The day that he's talking about, actually, is a day of slavery, of sinfulness, of people pleasing themselves. In that day, in that day, you will say. You see, what was happening at the time, Isaiah was in Jerusalem, and there was neighboring nations, and uh, they were incredibly powerful and incredibly sinful, And the people of God who were in Jerusalem were just prone to idolatry and pleasing themselves and loving themselves and loving other things other than God in that day. Does that day sound familiar to this day? Where people just please themselves, they do what they want? You see, I wonder what kind of day you're living in. And I do want to, you know, just address it very nicely, but, you know, very strongly because if you're in that day where you're just pleasing yourself, God wants you to understand there will be a day of reckoning. There will be a day of reckoning. We need to be people that understand the day that we live in. And we give ourselves to God every single day. So in that day you will say, well what will you say? There's three things that I believe that God wants to remind us of. The first thing I want to say is this, and this can be a defining day in many people's lives today. A defining day. The first thing I want to say is this. God's no longer angry with you. God's no longer angry with you. You say, Christian, why do you say that? Well, let's read the verses if we have a Bible. In verse 1 it says, I will praise you, O Lord, although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away. This is a prophetic declaration of Christ coming into the world. And no longer being under law, but now under grace. And God coming into the world in the the form of, of a baby, the name Jesus Christ... Why did he come? He came to reveal God to the world and to show grace to the world and to show love to the world. And where once God could seem like he was angry with us, now God is saying, I'm no longer angry with you. My anger has been turned away. Instead of anger, there is great love. Josh, if you just come come and help me this morning, I want to just show something here. You see, very often we live our lives, you know, like this. I'm going to be God. I know you think that's laughable. 
But I'm going to be God this morning. And Josh is just, you know, a person on planet Earth who is just, you know, had an experience of God, but he keeps messing up. And he keeps messing up and getting it wrong. And so what Josh constantly feels like is I'm this to him. I'm just this to him all the time. So Josh is, you know, he hears messages like he's been hearing this morning. And he, and, he, and he feels better. He comes out of the church and he feels better. I'm going to serve God tomorrow. And then tomorrow, somebody cuts him up because he's a pretty new Christian. And then he curses that person. Maybe, you know, give him the fingers or whatever. And, and then, oh, I've messed up again. And, and then he prays to God, God. And then he keeps thinking, well, I did that yesterday as well. I must stop my finger actions. I need to just, you know. And immediately he just thinks that God's like this. God's like this. Let's go further. It may be that you've really committed what we consider to be really gross sins. I understand the word gross sins. There are some things that are utterly detestable before God, and the Bible's very clear about that. But let me be honest with you. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. And what we, what we class as detestable, actually, there are some things that God really has displeasure in. And then we come to God again, but we, we just can't get a breakthrough because we think God is like this. Am I speaking to anybody this morning? We just feel God's like this. And God tells us, just stay where you are. I want to read it to you. This is very powerful. Although you were angry with me, you see, God was angry with us, but through Christ, it was just a wonderful sacrifice. Once and for all, Paid the price, completely wiped the debt. Oh, bless him, Eric. So once God was angry with us, but now this is prophetically him saying, I am no longer going to be angry with you. Your anger has turned away. So instead of doing this, this is why I've got him, because he is my nephew, if you don't know. God doesn't do this. He's messed up. Do you know what happens when he says, oh, God. And we've all done it. Oh, I've done it. Oh, God, I've so messed up again. Instead of feeling like this, you know what God does? He does this. Yeah. (laughs) I'm serious. You don't get it. God does this. God does this. He just gets hold of us. As long as we want to keep holding, he'll hold us. This is what God does. Because his anger is no longer towards us. He's turned away from us. And instead of this anger, there's just love that just, I don't know how to describe it, just pouring out. Could have used the elephant this morning. Thanks, Josh. Are you hearing me? That's what I felt God say number one to me this morning. I felt God say specifically, you've got to labor this point here, even if you don't get through all your ministry. Because there are some people here and they think God is angry with them. God is not angry with you. His anger is turned away from you. I want everybody to do something. I want everybody to stand to their feet. And I want everybody to turn around. Everybody just turn around. If you want to do it again, get some exercise. Come on, some of you young, young guys, turn around. I want you to turn around. I want you to turn around. Now, why have I said that to you? And then I want you to turn around, back around. Yeah, you've, most of you have done 180, which is exactly what happens. 
but you've turned around. I want to say there's a great turnaround that takes place. Because God was angry with us, but now he's no longer angry with us. And there's a great turnaround. There was a turn, it was a, it was, what was the phrase you, a cataclysmic turnaround. The world is going to know it. The world's going to know this turnaround. You've experienced the turnaround. If you've never experienced the turnaround and you're in this building, you're going to experience the turnaround if you receive it by faith. But there's a turnaround that takes place. And it's 180 degrees where we thought God was against us, so we thought we could never get to God. We're not worthy of God. God's this big ogre in the sky. You'd have been to Sunday school. Now God can't be interested in me. And then there's other people who've, yeah, I've given a life to God, but then they keep sinning. Because we all keep sinning. And we keep going to God. And, but there's a turnaround that's taken place. It's cataclysmic. And there's a great turnaround where instead of the anger of God, there's now the grace of God. It's a turnaround. His anger is no longer against you. Okay? It's, it's moved from you. There's a grace that God wants you to enter into today if you just take your seats. So that sets the foundation up for the next things that Isaiah declares because what else does he declare? And We've already touched on it slightly. But God's comfort is then lavished upon us. I've already made mention of it because in verse 1, and you've got to read the language. Read, don't just rush on with your Bible. Just read the language. It's all there. You don't need to read too much into it. I haven't flowered these points up. They're there. God's anger is no, is no longer against you. And secondly, God's comfort is lavished upon you. Why do I say that? Well, verse 1, and you have comforted me. So when Joshua's up here, instead of feeling the anger of God, I'll pick on John T now, we have the comfort of God. Are you getting Larry? I described it this morning like my children, every one of them, and yours will be the same. If you haven't, you've, done, you've just had perfect kids. There are times when you need to correct and rebuke uh, and discipline your children. So let me say, for instance now, Isaac, because he's the boy, and we'll all know what boys are like, I've had to say to him, you sit on that chair, you do not move. And immediately his response is he wants to come because he wants to get round me, yeah? No, you sit there and you think about what you have done. Now, although I talk about the anger of God... God does want us times. He comes to us and he does rebuke us and he does discipline us because that's a good father. Any good father would discipline their children because we want to be better. Hello? But what happens then very often in a few minutes' time once he's thought about it, my children have all done this. What they have wanted to do is they have wanted to come to me and what? Receive comfort. They've wanted to come and say, I'm sorry, Daddy. And they've wanted to receive. Now, it wasn't just good enough for me to say, there you go, pat him on the head and on you go. That, wasn't, that isn't good enough. There needs to be a comforting that takes place. And we see it again here that God comforts us. God's comfort is lavished upon us. 
You see, we must understand that his undeserving, this undeserving love is poured out and he consoles and he takes hold, takes hold of. And thirdly, what do I see? Is that God's salvation is limitless and without prejudice. Why do I say that? Because it talks about, surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. That's a word for somebody this morning. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. We don't have wells. We don't operate wells here. But what we do have is taps. And as long as you're paying the water bill, you can turn on with confidence this morning the water. And what happens? You have a limitless supply of water. And this is what Isaiah is trying to help us to understand. That God's salvation is limitless and without prejudice. So yes, I am saying those who have a different orientation to us, those of a different skin color, those of a different background, God's salvation is limitless and without prejudice. When I thought about this, straight away, I felt inspired to just think of that verse in John 1 verse 12. And it says there, to all who receive him. The invitation is so general, it's to everyone. To all to all who receive him and believe in his name, he gives them the right to become what? Sons of children of God. So there is no question that if you have, well, I've lived a really bad life, Christian, and? Well, you don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't know what you've done, but God does. But you don't know where I've been. You don't know who I've hurt. Absolutely. But to all who receive him and believe in his name, he gives them the right to become children of God. And this salvation is without prejudice and is without limits because he says there, with joy you will draw from the well of salvation. The well of God never runs dry. The well of God never runs dry. The salvation well we can continue, John T., to just draw from every single day. It's limitless and will never dry up. So, these are the things that we need to be reminded of. Let me just say very quickly, this leads to a response. Because we notice that in verse 4, we see it mentioned again. The phrase, have you got it? Verse 1, in that day you will say. Verse 4, in that day you will say. What day? Well, there's a change of day. There's a change of day that's come. There's a change of day because salvation has visited mankind. And there is a change that has come around. It's called the turnaround. We've all done it. In that day, that's why I say some of you are going to come into a new day today. Where you understand this, this God who you thought is distant loves you. And what happens is it draws a response from us. And the response is this. It is a song of praise. We sing a song for salvation, but more than that, to the Savior. My song is not just born out of, God, thank you for saving me. But it's, God, you are the Savior. And I worship you because you are the Savior. Not just that you've saved me, you are 
the Savior. And there is a response that comes, and this is the song of praise. And it's a song of praise that bursts forth. You can't contain it. You can't stop it. It will just burst forth from your life. That is what God is looking for from heaven. I understand there's times when we bring a sacrifice of praise. Everything's killing us. We just feel murder inside. We may want to murder some people as well inside. But we just feel awful and not God. And we bring a sacrifice of praise. I understand that. But God is looking at times for this bursting forth of joy and praise to God. Yes? Where we give in praise and bring songs of praise to him. And it bursts forth. It's unshackled. It's free. It's what these guys are trying to encourage us, and they've had an awesome time on Friday night at Universal, by the sounds of it, just unshackled worship and praise to God. And I just want to say to all those who were there, you guys need to bring that into these meetings here and not feel any sense of binding or being shackled or whatever. If some people look at you and think, well, what's going on in there? Don't worry about it. You just worship God out of your heart. Amen? And, something, and the same, same with other people, you might have been here, and you've not been at Universal, but something's happening in you. Please don't get worked up and concerned about what other people think. Because it is all about that sacrifice that David brought before God, where he was utterly uncivilized. And he brought a song of praise and worship to God. This song is a song of remembrance, a song that will never be forgotten. And it's a song about... Another. Let me give you five very quick things. We'll probably just concentrate on one of the five and the first one. But I'll give you the head up so you've got them. I look at here, there's a song of thanksgiving, verse 4. It says, give thanks to the Lord for all that he has done. We'll come back to that one. Secondly, a song of proclamation, verse 4 and 5. It says, make known amongst the nations, verse 5. Let this be known to all the world, and verse 4, and proclaim. There's a song of proclamation, let this be known to all the world. Proclaim it, declare it. There's a song of exultation. Verse 4, let, that this, his name is exalted. I said about this morning, and we sung it actually in the 9 o'clock service at the end. I was just singing a song of worship and just declaring the greatness of our God. And that song really does capture it. You know, our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. This is declaring and exalting the name of our God. It talks about, fourthly, singing of high volume. For all those who say, well, I like quiet. Well, that's fine. I increasingly like quiet in devotional times. But when I'm here amongst a company of people, I'm not here to be quiet. I'm here to sing praises to God and worship him with all my heart. And there's something that's captured when a group of people come together and begin to worship God. And for all those people who say, well, actually, it doesn't mean that. It does. Look in the Hebrew. Shout aloud means to cry aloud. Any shouters here? Any people with loud voice? I didn't say with big mouths. I said with any loud voices here. Yeah, there's loud voices well, that gives you permission, Wendy, to shout aloud the praises of God. Not shout at David at home, but shouting the praises of God. And we're all typically British, aren't we? There we are. I'll say it again. We're all typically British, aren't we? Oh, jolly good show, old chum. Oh, what? Oh, 
<laughs> golly, golly. I'm sorry if you're from good class. You can tell I am as well. Sorry. That's why we say we leave it to the Americans. No, it's not to the Americans because God wants us to shout and praise with high volume. Lastly, before I go back to just finishing off with this, a song of joy. It talks about verse verse 6. Verse 6, shout aloud. And verse 6, and sing for joy. But let me just come back to Thanksgiving and I'll finish with this. This is the lesson that I really felt the Lord just say to us. You see, God wants to bring a praise wants us to bring a praise offering. He wants it to be a very natural song of praise. And there is a song of thanksgiving that needs to arise from our hearts. Increasingly, increasingly, in my life, I really believe that God has been on my case around this and I think I'm just finally beginning to understand it and get it. Because my life consisted of, I was forever complaining to God about what I didn't have and not thank him Sorry, I was forever complaining about what I didn't have and didn't take time to thank him for what I did have. A song of thanksgiving. Let me ask you a question. How much time do you, do you take in your life thinking about what you don't have? You need to make a neck tomorrow. Just have a mental note. I'm telling you, it's more than you think. We constantly concerned with what we don't have so we see something and we want that and we joke about keeping up with the Joneses sorry if your name's Jones but very often we can live with it and we're just living with well, what's the next thing what's the next thrill what's the next high what's the next thing what's the next thing and God wants us to just be thankful for what we do have he really does so the clothes that we wear, the car that we drive, the food that we eat. I mean, we've been hearing about somebody who just had a few slices of bread and a, bread and a, a, and a tin of beans. And that's in Britain. We have a roof that's over our head, most of us, if not all of us. We may not have a great job. We may not have a lot of money, but we're very, very blessed. And guys, we need to be, what? Thankful. God looks for thankful people. We need to overflow with thanksgiving to God. There was an old man in the church, actually in Mansfield, who used to make a phrase like this. I don't think it was quite like this, but God, if you never did anything else for me, I'd still be thankful. And it can sound a bit of a you know, throwaway comment, but it's absolutely true. If God never did anything else for us, we still should be thankful. But I wonder if we still would be thankful. God has wanted us to raise the praise. Are you hearing God's heart this morning? God wants to raise the praise. He wants you to know that he's not angry with you. He loves you with a passion. And he's wanting the church of Jesus Christ to not just sing songs, and that's great, and he understands that we love to worship, but he wants it all to be raised in all of our lives. If you think you're a really great worshipper, and you really worship God, which is great, and many people here are, We're not addressing it because we think we're rubbish at worshipping and praising. We do really good at that. But there is more that God wants to come out of us. And he wants to raise the praise in all of our lives. He wants to raise the praise. God is looking for, longing to hear praise. And this praise becomes attractive, potent and irresistible to those around us. Maybe you're here this morning 
and you just thought God was angry with you. I've come to tell you, God is not angry with you. His anger has come away from you and he comes to comfort you and lavish you with great love. I wonder if we could all bow our heads for a moment. We are going to finish in a moment with a great song of worship, so whether the guys want to just position themselves and just play very gently in the background.